It's Sunday, April 24, 2022. Welcome to the 11th episode in this series from Midas Touch and five-minute news called The Weekend Show. Download the show as audio in addition to my daily five-minute news podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Anthony Davis and joining me today is election integrity advocate and political writer Jennifer Cohn. Hi, Jennifer. Nice to Hi, see you. Hi, how are you? Yeah, pretty good. Thank you very much. Now, um, this week, there are kind of three uh, characters that I want to focus on, three kind of uh, brazen Republicans. Uh, you might call them, you know, Donald Trump's henchmen. There's Ron DeSantis to talk about. There's um, uh, Kevin McCarthy to talk about. And then there's also... Um, Mark Meadows, who it turns out is registered to vote in three states whilst demanding election integrity. Uh, Kevin McCarthy has, um, it's been revealed that the House leader held Donald Trump responsible for the immediate aftermath of the January 6th Capitol riot and that Trump himself accepted some responsibility for the insurrection. Uh, and McCarthy, when this was announced by the New York Times, McCarthy put out a statement saying, I never said that. And then 10 minutes later, they put out the audio of him saying Perfect. it on tape, which was rather brilliant. And then finally, and maybe we should start with this, uh, Florida, an awful lot has been happening in Florida. Massive fights with Disney World and, you know, LGBTQ plus uh, laws, um, maths textbooks that supposedly have CRT in them. But specifically, I want to talk about uh, Ron DeSantis brazenly trying to curtail black political power in his state as he re redraws its congressional districts to significantly benefit Republicans. Uh, there's currently four districts in the state where black voters can elect their preferred candidates. His plan leaves just two, and his map chops up the fifth district into four new districts where black voters would comprise of a much smaller share of the population. So... Your your experiences in election integrity and, and, you know, as your poster behind you kind of uh, explains, you know, we have to protect our votes. That's right. But this is slightly different to that, isn't it? I mean, this is before we even get to the ballot box. They're effectively trying to rig the election. Well, that's right. That's what partisan gerrymandering is. It is rigging elections. And yes, that is what they're trying to do. I think Florida in particular has a lot of areas of concern when it comes to election integrity. And that is in itself extremely concerning because, of course, Ron DeSantis may very well run for president in 2024, and he's already inflicting quite a bit of damage as um, the governor of Florida right now. Is it the case that, um, because I've heard about, you know, some of DeSantis's people knocking on doors, asking older people in many cases, and there's a lot of elderly uh people living in Florida about their vote and their voter registration and changing their voter registration, changing parties from Democrat, Democrat to Republican. So even before the, the gerrymandering, there's also a, a it seems to be a, a very planned um, kind of ideal to create this Republican superstate. I mean, can you tell us a little bit about that process as well? Yes, I'm happy to do that. So I saw in the news probably about a month ago reports about voter registrations in Florida being switched from Democrat to Republican without the voters' consent. And it got a fair amount of coverage, but I came out of my sort of hiding, undoing videos. I haven't done any in a while because I felt like it could that could use a national boost. 
um, in terms of attention. And so I interviewed um, Senator State Senator Annette Tadeo, who, uh, by the way, is running for governor in Florida. And she's sort of spearheading the investigation into this issue. There was a really good on-the-ground reporter, and I'm sorry to say I don't remember her name off, off the top of my head, but... Um, Senator Tadeo said that it is in that in at least three counties they have found voter registrations having been switched without voters' consent. And the good news is it's the kind of thing that actually can be investigated fairly easily because you can get a list and find out who has switched their voter registrations and then literally go ask those voters if they meant to have them switched. But they're finding more and more, and the more um, attention the issue gets, the more people are contacting her office saying that it happened to them. And it, it really illustrates, I think, the important role that the media plays in amplifying these concerns. Even when there's not sort of an immediate remedy, people need to know that their their voter registration may have been changed in order to um, check, to, in order to know the importance of checking their registration. And I do have a question as to whether this could have affected the maps. I actually don't know the answer to that, but I suspect that when they draw the maps, they do take into account the number of registered Republicans versus registered Democrats. And in Florida, for the first time, the Republicans are all boasting that suddenly Republicans have out, have ousted, not ousted, they've um, surpassed the Democrats in terms of registrations. And now we're finding that it may not be on the up and up. Today, I told me she thought there were thousands and thousands that had been switched without consent, but they're still it's still being investigated. And how does that work? I mean, that's somebody knocking on a door and asking somebody specifically about who they're voting for or or because there's a, I think they use it's a little bit like cold callers, isn't it? Trying to sell you insurance. You know, the, the language that they use is designed to give them license to switch the vote. Is that right? Well, what she told me that they were doing is they would show in this one building, especially in particular, which I think was in Miami-Dade, um, it was an, a building for elderly with a lot of elderly uh, tenants, um, tend, a lot of them not who don't even speak English as a first language, many of them Hispanic. And they would show up and say that they were there to update voter registrations. And you don't need to update your voter registration, although I suppose if you want to update your signature because you think your signature is old, you could do that for legitimate reasons. But what they would do is they'd present them with like a clipboard and keep their hand. They were there's there's a whistleblower, by the way. So she knows this because there was a whistleblower. She said that they were trained to put their hand over part of the form where they would be updating their registration. The part which said um, what political party they were registered for. And then they were instructed to just write in Republican after. And so it's really not a matter of whether this has happened. It's a matter of scope. And whether and and I think why too, because that isn't the same thing as changing people's votes, but it certainly creates a perception that may be untrue that Republicans are really dominating the state, and then that causes that can, for example, possibly affect the maps. I don't know about that for sure, but certainly it it affects um, public perception and how much money people are going to be willing to pour into the state on the Democratic side if they think the Republicans have it all locked up. They may not put as many boots on the ground and they may direct their funding for candidates elsewhere. And it, it's a, it's a really big deal. And it can also mask vote flipping. If, if hypothetically someone wanted to flip votes, say from Democrat to Republican, it's a lot easier to get away with that. If the, um, if you have more registered Republicans than registered Democrats. And then one last thing, I know it's sort of a mouthful. They could even use it in the reverse scenario where if Democrats win, they could scream fraud based on having more 
Republican registered voters than Democrats and say, how can this possibly be a legitimate result? So it's, it's very concerning. And this is the irony is that the only people that were screaming fraud throughout this whole election were Republicans. And right. yet Republicans are the ones committing fraud. And, right. and, and that's, I, I imagine that, that's really the irony of this, isn't it? It's very ironic. Sort of the bigger, the larger frauds that we're seeing seem to be Republicans. I don't want to suggest that there is no such thing as election fraud or voter fraud. Um, those are two separate things, by the way. Voter fraud is typically fraud committed by individual voters. And that's really where you have sort of this myth on the right side of the spect political spectrum, that it's a massive problem. It does occur. It absolutely does occur. But the notion that there are it's a massive problem is where the myth comes in. And oftentimes you'll see Republicans putting up a straw man argument when one person gets arrested saying, see, they say there's no voter fraud, but look, there's this one person. And I don't think anyone who studies this issue or is an advocate um, for the integrity of our election says that there's no voter fraud. That's just not true. There absolutely is. Yes, both parties do it, but it certainly seems like there have been more instances lately of Republicans doing it. The scheme in Florida would really be more of an example of election fraud because it's um, it's election insiders, not the individual voters committing fraud. And the same would be true if, um, you know, if if uh, someone were to rig the voter registration machines or the voting machines themselves, that those would be examples of election fraud. So, yeah, in this let's case, certainly at, it's the Republicans. Let's just look at this map specifically. I mean, for those people that don't quite understand you know, the map in the first place in Florida is drawn to in, to to basically support a large um, area that is dominated by by black voters um, or black citizens who vote. And it's designed to enable them to have access to kind of equal representation. The fear is that if they get a Republican supposedly looking after them, then certainly in the case of Florida, they're going to be a white Christian nationalist. And then they're not going to look out, you know, give them the kind of representation that they deserve. But this has been eliminated now. I mean, so so really Ron DeSantis's argument is that the the original drawing of this map was racist because it was effectively racist against white people, is what he's saying. It created a kind of a ghettoized black space. And he's saying, I am not racist because I am undoing that. So he's basically using language that gives the impression that he's the savior because he's getting away, getting getting racism out of Florida, when in fact, to those people who are now underrepresented, it, it's the opposite, right? Everything, it seems like with the GOP these days is opposite day. If they say integrity, that probably means fraud. If they say fraud, it probably means a clean election. If they say, you know, something is racist, it's probably the opposite. If they say it isn't racist, it probably is. So yes, it's, it is the opposite. And it's very concerning. And just on the issue of integrity of elections, I mean, Ron DeSantis's own win against Andrew Gillum was arguably tainted in the sense that in the run-up to that election, you had Senator um, Bill Nelson, who was running in the Senate race against Rick Scott, sort of blowing the whistle on something that the Senate Intelligence Committee, Committee knew but hadn't been announced publicly, which is that the um, Russians had actually breached Florida voter registration systems. According to Senator Nelson, they had persistent access, which um, what happened is after during the election, the FBI wouldn't comment on Nelson's remarks. Um, 
I think they, they made it seem, everyone made it seem like he was crazy to be bringing this up. Surely we would know if this was the case. Well, guess what? It was the case, but we didn't find out about it until after the election. And I don't know that we would have found out about it at all were it not for um, Bob Mueller finally putting it in his report. And then you, and then he gave a briefing to, I guess, Senator, well, then governor, now it was Governor DeSantis. But what's never been addressed is um, the persistent access? Did they? And I imagine they probably did have persistent access, whether to the voter registration systems, um, because that's kind of how it, what a hacker would want to do. And that doesn't mean they used it, but it's very concerning. And I have a, a grave concern that we don't have transparency about um, problems when they actually do occur. And we have one political party that says definitively that fraud occurred when they don't have proof of it. And it appears that there wasn't any. And then we have the other party, which is my party, the Democrats, um, not wanting to undermine the public's confidence in elections. So a sort of a lofty goal, but denying that there's cause for concern about their own losses when there's cause for concern about their own losses. And, um, and it really, um, Florida is really one of the top examples, examples of this, so, yeah, so that you add the gerrymandering in and then you've got, you know, we, we've got these breached voter registration systems. We have a lack of transparency. There was a senator from Florida, um, or actually Representative Stephanie Murphy, who is just a real superstar. And she was one of the people from Florida who was really pushing for more transparency about what happened in 2016. And guess what? She became a target by... Um, sort of uh, Trump's behind the scenes longtime advisor, Roger Stone and his cabal. Um, Stone has a longtime associate or assistant named Jacob Ingalls, who is a propagandist in the state of Florida, particularly. And he has just was relentless against her. And she finally announced that because she has kids, she's not going to seek a second term. She had tears in her eyes and he took credit for it on his social media. He said that, you know, he's the one who ran her out. And so yeah, there's lots of election integrity concerns in the state of Florida, and these concerns are really um, lie at the hands of the Republicans there. Initially in Florida, a judge refused to accept this map. You know, the 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 it was DeSantis decided to draw his own map. You know, normally the governor doesn't touch the map; the legislature draws the map, right? But he drew his own map, submitted it. Then there was a lawsuit. The judge said, you can't draw your own map. You're the governor and this map is not a suitable map. And then a week later, the judge says, actually, you're OK, it's fine. And then so DeSantis effectively overrides the judiciary and he's like, I'm the governor. And so, and so now we've got the governor's own map. I mean, this is the this is the thing I don't quite understand is that how is it, you know, everything obviously has a, a, a there's always a, a legal ramification with all of these things. And there's so many court cases going on as we speak uh, regarding gerrymandering and, and, and boundary lines being redrawn. But in this case, the governor of Florida overrided the decision of a judge. And now the the legislature has approved. He and, and you know, the Florida has effectively approved this map. And DeSantis now is signing this map into law. I mean, this has all happened in the, in the last three days, and right. and hence the protests. I mean, this seems so unlawful, and it's being done in plain sight. You know, the coup effectively in plain sight. 
how how is it the case that a governor can can override the decision of a judge in this way? Um, you know, legally, he shouldn't be able to override it. You, you mentioned that you, that the judge had said, "Okay, actually, you're right. Go ahead." I wasn't aware that the judge had done that. I mean, that is very concerning and probably cause for an investigation. But what happens is you reach a tipping point in some of these states where enough of the institutions are corrupted. You know, he appoints judges. DeSantis himself appoints judges. Right. He also puts people on. He has some election integrity commission you know, that he's probably corrupted and the state AG. And at a certain point, um, there isn't anyone. It's the it's the fox guarding the hen house. And um, that may just be where we are. But I think that in the past, politicians, maybe even from both parties, had some degree of shame. And when you're truly shameless, you just do what you want. And they're running out the clock. They're just going to do it. And. I, I believe this is an attempt to run out the clock. I know that there is another, the NAACP, and I think the League of Women Voters and maybe Common Cause are, are challenging this in court. And I hope it, um, I hope they succeed. I hope they succeed before the midterm election. DeSantis, uh, I think it was a lawyer from his office, said lawmakers had considered race too much when they drew the original map, violating the US Constitution. He also said the district was not black enough saying that the reduced share of black voters would make it harder for them to elect the candidate of their choice, violating anti-gerrymandering language in the Florida Constitution. It's like, well, which is it? Is it a black district or is it not a black district, they say? I mean, well, their arguments don't make internal. They're not internally consistent. And that's also I mean, that is just a degree of shamelessness. And this this issue of shame is something that seems to come up a lot in these types of conversations. You know, shame is actually a really important uh, element to police any kind of democracy, isn't it? To to because you know you have to have a moral compass, and the moral compass is connected to a sense of shame doing something that is so illegal or publicly illegal. It's a, it's a little bit like, uh, I mean, let me just give you another example. There's a very, um, one of, another one of um, Ron DeSantis's henchmen. Uh, I think his name is, let's have a look here. His name is uh, Randy Fine. He's a Florida representative. He had some choice words for, for his enemies. He said, Democrats who oppose restrictions on classroom discussions of gender identity for young children are perverts and groomers. School board members who support mask mask mandates are child abusers who deserve a special place in hell. And he said a similar thing for people who didn't trust these, um, you know, the, the, the redistricting. I mean, all, all of these characters, it's not like it's just the guy at the top. It's all of the surrogates and all of the henchmen, as I described them. They all seem to lack shame, don't they? And so what hope is there for democracy going forward if this, if this vital uh, element is missing? Um, well, I'm very concerned about what, how much hope we have for democracy, but we have to try. I think it is, there are many elements to what is happening, but certainly this is an information war and it's a war for sort of the hearts and minds. And they, the right wing really took over right wing radio and they got a huge jump start on social media, not necessarily in legitimate ways in, um, you know, they, I saw something where it was like Trump had four times as many bots as Hillary did in 2016, but they really got a jump start with this artificial amplification of on social media. 
and um, and it is very coordinated. I don't think that necessarily the public appreciates the extent to which it's coordinated. So like this whole groomers thing, I don't know for sure that it started with Roger Stone, but I think it may very well have started with Roger Stone, who, by the way, lives in the state of Florida. He has long used false accusations of pedophilia against political opponents. Um, he did that to a journalist named Bob Norman. There was a long article about it. And um, it was his... Jack Posobiec is sort of the king of fake news on Twitter. And that is a Roger, he is a Roger Stone protege. He worked with him very closely in 2016 and after, and he's been huge and, you know, he'll start something sometimes with like a hashtag. So he really went viral on Twitter with um, the groomers hashtag and using it against Disney, for example. And then someone fortunately did, and he got, uh, he got Twitter banned temporarily over that, but then they, they're just masters at creating fake outrage. And but you see it going from him to maybe Fox News to maybe the lawmakers. And it's just it's this sort of well-oiled outrage machine. So some of it is false information and a lot of it is fabricated outrage because and then it's it's repeated by the followers to, though, isn't it? Calling people groomers because they want to stand up for, you know, for or scapegoat children who are different than other children who are already sort of among the most vulnerable in our societies is about as reprehensible as it can get. And yet that is what they choose to do because it seems to rile up their base and it dominates the airwaves and they've got their, it's very difficult to, to shame people when they've got their own sort of closed networks. Um, and, and, and creating a false narrative that they are just seeking to protect people or give people their freedom back or, or, you know, or protect elections when the reality is they're rigging them in the process of protecting them. Right. And I think they, to an extent they're trying to outlaw shame. That's sort of where they don't want to teach the history of racism in the country. And they didn't want on this gerrymandering bill they didn't want the Democrats to be able to even mention on the floor the history of racism in the country and in the state of Florida, because that would be implying, you know, that, that the current lawmakers are maybe racist. And that's that's impolite to do. And that's just um, it's outrageous. They're essentially trying to outlaw shame when they're outlawing the, the lessons of history. And it's extremely dangerous. And and I suppose the, the, the Disney World issue is... Um an example of this where the punishment does not fit the crime. You know, the crime is that Disney is um, siding with LGBTQ plus people. The, uh, the, the son of the Disney boss um, is, is trans, uh, or the child, I should say, of the Disney boss is trans. And uh, this has wound up Florida Governor Ron DeSantis that they are, you know, supporting this community in their in their workers and the like. And so instead of just like putting out a statement saying that, you know, we do not believe in this and this is not our view, he's effectively taking away the entire governing license for, for Disney World in, well, in Florida. I mean, that's I mean, quite an extreme the, response, isn't it? it? Yeah, oh, it absolutely is. They're the ones who wanted corporations, you know, to have a right to speech, right? And this they're infringing you know they're attacking disney for its free speech i hope that 
Disney stands its ground. And I hope that, frankly, I hope they leave the state. That would serve Ron DeSantis, right? Although, actually, I don't want to punish the citizens of Florida. All right, maybe not. I'd have to think it through more. But certainly DeSantis would deserve it if Disney were to pull up stakes and go somewhere else. Um, the citizens of Florida, that is something else. They're, they're not to blame. But that's not practical, is it? You know, Disney leaving Florida is just not practical. The 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 cost implications of that are 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 insane. Probably so, not. Right. So so the reality here is that there's going to have to be some kind of truce, and that will probably come after a multitude of court cases. But if the 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 judges in Florida are Trump appointed, as is the case with this, uh, you know, redistricting with this map then what what chance do, does Disney stand? Um, I don't know. They don't want to set a bad precedent on it, it, these issues can go both ways. And so even if they are sort of right wing judges, they may hesitate to do anything that, you know, undermines the right of free speech. But I don't know. Sometimes the judges do better than than you expect, even when they were put on there deliberately. So we have to hope that that's the case. But certainly, I think Disney should sue for defamation. Absolutely. And again, this Jack Posobiec, who is dominant, you know, he has 1.5 million followers on Twitter, and he has a long history of making stuff up. And he was really leading the charge of calling Disney a bunch of groomers. And he also happened, he also spread the Pizzagate lie before, right after the 2016 election, that Hillary had a pedophile ring in a pizza parlor. And, and soon after, there was a shooting at the pizza parlor. No one was hurt. Yeah, I was going to say that poor pizza parlor. It's it's been raided so many times by by just by um, people wanting to find out. You know, these are QAnon people, of course, trying to find out. You know, what's going on in the basement? Well, what's going on in the basement is dough is being needed. They didn't even have a basement, I believe. There was no basement, but yes, <laughs> right, that's that, right, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. the thing with yeah. this groomers, he actually was at Disneyland just the preceding month um, after, and this was after. Uh, after Disney had come out and after there was already a controversy between Disney and DeSantis. So it's just a, it's a manufactured outrage. And that is what they specialize in. There's a whole, what the Democrats are up against, it is partly the dominionists because nothing really motivates people like good, you know, religious fanaticism. And the religious fanatics, for the most part, are on the right. And so it's not the RNC, really, that has established sort of this misinformation network. It is largely the Dominionists, um, with help from people like Roger Stone, who's now pretending to be a Dominionist, even though I don't believe he is. Um, but the Leadership Institute, well, the Council for National Policy is sort of the umbrella organization for all of these groups. And under it, you have ALEC. And then you also have this thing called the Leadership Institute, run by a guy named Morton Blackwell, who's just trained, you know, I don't know, thousands of Republican operatives to that moral outrage is the number one motivating force in politics. And they are more than happy to fabricate it. And that's what they've done for years. But I do think that with the Twitter presidency being Trump, um, it really exploded. And to a point where it you know, I hope we haven't crossed a tipping point where we can't rein it back in. But people are catching on. You hear that more and more. The culture wars is sort of a manufactured outrage. But uh, but yeah, they really there's this having things go viral on social media has really up the ante. Well, they they know what they're doing, don't they? We, we've we've seen this with several uh, politicians who you know like to check their own Twitter after they've said something 
outrageous right. to see the, the the effect of it. And I, I, when I uh, spoke with uh, Jared Sexton on this show a, f- a few weeks ago, he was talking a lot about these think tanks that operate um, in you know at very high levels. But these are organizations and groups that we never know about. You know, they 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 are put in there. They are paid for by high office. You know, on the on the right, and they are coming up with these plans. They are they are making these. Um, these kind of cunning plans to overturn the election or to rig the election or to get misinformation out there. This is not happening by accident. Like, this is really a very thoughtful process. This is part of a much bigger plan, isn't it? It's almost a, it's almost a conspiracy theory in itself to think that there is a conspiracy. It's a cons- Well, there's certainly, it's coordinated, certainly. So, for example, you had Ali Alexander, who was the sort of social media provocateur, um, longtime operative working with Roger Stone very carefully on three Stop the Steal operations. There was one in 2016, 20, I don't know if you worked on that one, Ollie, but Stone did, 2018, and then the, for the midterms, and then 2020. And so he has connection. I mean, Roger Stone is a lot more powerful than people realize, but perhaps in particular, he has con- the strong connections to the Proud Boys, and maybe to a slightly lesser extent, but still there, the Oath Keepers, and Alex Jones, who in his you know, I don't know how if he's taken a hit or not, but certainly at 2016, he had millions and millions and millions. Well, he's just filed for bankruptcy, uh, for right? Because of the Sandy Hook, because of the cost of. But I don't know how his show the, is the, the Sandy Hook families, right? So he had access. That there were a lot of disaffected, um, angry voters, I guess, who listened to Alex Jones and Trump. Really, I think, re- organized them sort of politically. Uh, not Trump, sorry. Stone, to an extent Trump too, but Stone in particular, worked with Alex Jones to really motivate this group. So you have Ali Alexander being this connector between that world, the Roger Stone, Proud Boys, Oath Keepers, Alex Jones world. And then he's also a member of the Council for National Policy, which I don't think enough people realize that there is a structure to a lot of these think tanks with the Council for National Policy really being the top dog. And it is very much an, um, right. an umbrella. So you've got the leaders of ALEC and of the Federalist Society and um, probably the Claremont Institute, they're all members of the Council for National Policy. And they've been around since the 80s. And they their vision for the country is very much dominionist. They want to get rid of or severe, to completely change the concept of public education and how Jesus taught in schools. And uh, it's it's... They want to eliminate. It's very libertarian as well. They want to eliminate pretty much all federal agencies, which is, so you saw like DeVos. That way you get the opposite stay. That was what Trump was doing. He was kissing up to the Council right. for National Policy with putting all the people in the federal agencies to destroy them. And um, they hate trans kids. They, you know, in the name of Jesus Christ, they want to scapegoat them. And they're obviously against against a woman's right to choose. And it's, it's all very depressing. And I remember when I first read about them um, and I first learned about them on Twitter, actually, the Council for National Policy, the Southern Poverty Law Center had done a big piece on them, but it sounded so far-fetched just six years ago. I guess that was oh, 2017 is when five years ago. And now everyone talks about the Dominionists. It's not far-fetched. That's exactly what's happening. And it's becoming normalized to an extent, which is really scary. There was a video released uh, in the last week of uh, Roger Stone arriving at Mar-a-Lago. And uh, you see Trump turn around and go, Roger, I didn't see you there, and shakes his hand. And Roger 
whispers, but it's picked up on the on the video, saying something very derogatory about Governor Ron DeSantis. And I, I found that really interesting because you kind of assume that all Republicans are on the same team. So so clearly there is rivalry and maybe from Stone's perspective, because I do see Stone still as the puppet master. Um, yes. That, that really DeSantis is a bit of a distraction because he is registered in Florida as is Trump registered in Florida. They can't both run for president, can they? Well, even if he remains as governor, um, that's bad enough. But that's right. What I think is, I think Stone helped get Ron DeSantis elected. So Matt Gates, also Florida, also, you know, reprehensible, apparently under federal investigation for sex trafficking of a minor. Um, he is very close or was at least very close with Roger Stone. And he was um, the head of Ron DeSantis's transition team. And that can't be an accident. So I think I think that Stone He's sort of like a mafioso. He talks about loyalty, about, you know, you need loyalty, you need loyalty. And he's accusing DeSantis of being disloyal because here the unspoken part is Roger Stone helped him get elected. And now he's threatening Roger Stone's top guy, which is Trump. And that's disloyal. He needs to stay in his place. He needs to remember who buttered his bread, who got him to where he was. I think that's what's going on there. And by the way, with the McCarthy thing, I was not surprised at all. And maybe most people weren't by that tape that came out because I... Stone has been attacking McCarthy, and he even has set out what his next coup attempt will be, which is to, um, they need to, he feels that that Kevin McCarthy is an impediment to his plan to, to install Trump as Speaker of the House if the Republicans take, win the House in the midterm elections. That's his big plan. And then his plan actually goes further than that. They want to, I think they want to, they think they're going to be able to get Biden out on uh, mental incompetence, and then they plan to uh, impeach Kamala, which even if they impeached her, they wouldn't have the votes, I don't think, to get her out unless they have a complete route. But that second part of the plan seems far-fetched. I'm not sure that it is far-fetched putting him in a speaker as the House. I I remember reading a while well, back. Well, he wouldn't so- want to do it, though, would he, Jennifer? I mean, that's my concern with Trump is that he you know he's in, he was always very lazy he never presidented at all you know he he had this executive time 3 hours every day in the morning in his calendar which was basically him watching tv and and we know that now because a lot of his tweets coincide with things that were said on 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 cable news but but can you imagine trump having the energy to be the speaker of the house i mean it, yes. that's it's a tough job he just wouldn't want to do it i imagine he would do it I, I think he would do it but i don't know maybe not maybe if he thinks he's just going to win straight up in 2024 which by the way i mean i mean i i am very disappointed I, I just very quick segue i feel like the democrats had a real opportunity and this again is my political party just to be upfront but i feel like they had a real politi- a real opportunity to um, pass a standalone election security bill. Because don't forget, the ones that were so concerned after 2016 were the Democrats, because the Republicans attacked, I mean, the Russians attacked our election infrastructure, the degree to which the public is not allowed to know, apparently. But so the Democrats, after suddenly Trump flipped the script, I think quite cynically and without basis, flipped the script, but he, he scammed his voters into thinking that the election was stolen from him. So certainly there are plenty of Republican voters who would support an election security bill that at least um, required some of the basics like, uh, you know, meaningful manual audits for federal races. And 
the Democrats really should have done that. I feel as a standalone bill, it would have been easy to message. Um, it would give them sort of a rhetorical point if, if, if again in 2024 or 2022, I guess they can still try it for 2024. But if in 2022, the Republicans try to say that the election was fraudulent, they can point out that they tried to pass an election security bill. And this might actually be the one time where Republican lawmakers who voted against Ron Wyden's election security bill before the 2020 election, where they would be sufficiently shamed by their own voters into actually voting for it. And they didn't even try. And I, I, I have a hard time getting over that. I don't think I'll ever get over it. But was it not tied up in the John Lewis Voting Rights Act that they weren't um, able to pass? I mean, were, were, they, were these election security was, issues not part of those two bills? It was It was tied up in one of the two. Not It wasn't the John Lewis one. It was the other one. Um, the For the People Act, I think. There were a couple of the big yeah. omnibus ones. Um, but the, it didn't actually require audits until 2020. Four, and then it required only one race. So 2022 was still left wide open. And I'm not sure we survived past 2022 if we get routed in 2022. But the point being, it was just a poor negotiating tactic to not come right back with some standalones on election security. And, and time, time is an issue, isn't it? You know, the, the, the amount of time you leave between an event happening and doing something about it is a real issue. And Robert Reich wrote about this in The Guardian this week, saying that it's, you know, time has passed. It's becoming too late to do anything about Donald Trump, you know, overturning the election or attempting to overturn the election. Uh, you know, because people have short memories. And I think Republicans maybe take advantage of the fact that people have short memories. It certainly happened with Kevin McCarthy this week, denying that, you know, he ever said anything about anything. And then, of course, you know, the, the opposite being presented on an on a audio tape. So is, is time really a problem now? You know, is it, is it too late? Um, well, for 2022 on a standalone election security bill, I think it is too late. You know, one of the main things also, they should have removed the wireless modems. There was, that was one of the big talking points that suddenly Republicans were shocked, shocked that some of the ballot scanners at the precincts in Florida, for example, in, in swing states have wireless modems. Well, guess what? Ron Wyden, myself, a lot of, you know, legitimate election security advocates and experts were talking about this before the election and the Republicans blocked their removal. Um, it is too late to have that, I think, before 2022. So, but not for 2024. As far as, you know, Trump trying to steal the election, I don't think it's ever too late to point that out. I still want everyone to know in more detail what happened in 2000 with um, with Gore v. Bush and even Roger Stone's involvement there with the Brooks Brothers riot, which was a manufactured riot to stop the counting as the two candidates, Bush and Gore, um, Gore Bush was still ahead, but it, it dwindled to less than 500 votes. Ultimately, he supposedly won by 537 votes in the state of Florida. We're back to the state of Florida. And um, you know, Roger Stone, that was his gig was actually stopping the counting. And I think we don't I think as Democrats, we you have to we have to be able to do both. We have to be able to talk about sort of the everyday issues um, that affect Americans. But we also have to be able to reckon with the wrongdoing of of a rogue political party. And it's been rogue for a lot longer than people want to admit. But we are at this disadvantage because we don't have the religious crazies and we don't have as many billionaires. And even the billionaires we have don't care as much because they're billionaires. So we don't have the same, I mean, that Council for National Policy thing is a huge problem. We don't have an equivalent on the left 
be, and because we don't have that fervor, we don't have the same degree of corruption. So we just, there isn't the same motivation, I guess, until things really come coll collapse even more. Maybe there will be, but like with the thing that happened in Florida with the gerrymandering to circle back, you really have this sense with the sit-in that sat, sat on the floor that we're witnessing history, but not in the way we want to be witnessing history. It's the, it's the history repeating, going backwards. It's really, I don't think it's too late to message these things, but we don't have the apparatus in place. Um. Let's just talk for a moment about Marjorie Taylor Greene. She uh, was on the, on the stand on Friday, yep. uh, the controversial representative of Georgia. Uh, she faced a challenge to her re-election by voters and a supporting legal group who were seeking to knock her off the ballot for her role prior to the January 6th insurrection at the US Capitol. Uh, she was answering questions in uh, Atlanta in a, in a court there as part of her candidacy, uh, the candidacy challenge which makes her the first Republican member of Congress to testify publicly under oath about the Capitol riot, even as a, a Democratic-led committee is, is you know, spending months investigating the attack. Uh, a handful of voters in her district, represented by a non-profit called Free Speech for People, say that Green should be disqualified because they allege she encouraged and supported the rioters who stormed the Capitol. Um, I watched some of the testimony on Friday, and uh, she seems to also have a very short memory. She doesn't remember saying anything, despite, you know, video evidence being shown to the contrary. Uh, she's a very dangerous character, isn't she? Because when we talk about shame, it is zero, isn't it? Zero shame. Just saying anything out loud to kind of, you know, rubbish the, the, the Democrats. And yet also very malicious and aggressive language towards minority groups and, and similar. So, I mean, surely there, there must be like two dozen Republicans, you know, who, who could be up in court on similar charges, no? Yeah, I, I don't know what the reasoning was to start with her. Um, she did say, I mean, she, there is sort of a really devastating quote where she said before the insurrection, you can't allow it to just transfer power peacefully like Joe Biden wants. So... She's up on the stand claiming that she she never called for a violence and, you know, she's all about, you know, peace. Um, and that's just not true. She also said this is our 1776 moment, which is a reference, of course, to the American Revolution and really has been a rallying cry of sort of the, the far right, meaning um, standing up usually an armed conflict with the federal government. So for example, an example in the Bundy standoff in 2014, that was the rancher Cliven Bundy who owed a million dollars for his occupation of federal grazing lands. And when the feds came out there, there was this big armed standoff. And this is really what put the Oath Keepers on the map, by the way, was with the Bundys. And um, 1776 was sort of their, that's what they called it. And Infowars, Alex Jones covered that conflict extensively. And um, Joe Biggs, who's the one of the top indicted Proud Boys organizers, the right hand man to Enrique Tarrio, who was the national chairman, he covered the, the Bundy standoff for Alex Jones back in the day, and that was 1776. So it's it's interesting when you do a search for all the people that were messaging 1776. It's kind of um, the top of the food chain, and uh, yeah, it's it. What's what's nice about their lawsuit? I love Free Speech for People. By the way, is a really great organization, a really great nonprofit. It, what's nice about it is I assume that this, the burden of proof is, um, is, you know, more likely than not 
preponderance of the evidence as opposed to the criminal burden of proof, which is really a lot of the problem I think that the DOJ has, which, um, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt is a very high burden of proof when you're talking about intent and that sort of thing. And so I'm hoping that helps them there. I'm very interested in some of the civil cases too, though, that have been filed in and, and what the status is of those that have been filed by like the Capitol Police have sued the Proud Boys and I think Alex, I hope Alex Jones, I'm not sure. Well, Proud and Boys suing leaders. the former president as well. You know, and Trump. And, uh, yeah, I'd be yeah. very interested in that. And I'm, I mean, I hope the problem we have is our legal system is just so slow. It's like it can't keep up. And then once they put everyone, if it's that slow, then you get Trump back in office and he's just going to pardon. Well, that, that's, that was my concern out. about why Democrats hadn't been more forceful about passing any kind of voting rights, uh, you know, ahead of the infrastructure bill, which, of course, was the only thing they've managed to pass so far, uh, because you or even through executive order. I mean, you know, Trump in the end couldn't get things through and just did everything by executive order. And, and Biden has done a lot of executive orders. But it just seems surprising to me that, you know, election integrity and ensuring that the fundamental fabric of American democracy is maintained through the midterms and then into the next general election. It's so essential. And yet there's there's even just very little chatter about it from the Democrats. And, and you know, my, my fear is that they're missing a trick here. You know, Kamala Harris was put in charge of this. We hear nothing from the vice president. She was put in charge of this. No, we, we hear nothing from her. And it's very, very odd. And I have to think it is a tactical decision of some sort that they're going to roll her out pristine and no one's attacked her because she hasn't done anything. But you know what? No one's going to love her either because she hasn't done anything. And or at least we don't hear about it if she is doing it. So I, I don't know what's going on with Kamala. But yes, I feel that they missed a beat. And I do not know what goes on behind closed doors, what tricks a president has up his sleeve to you know, get get other Democrats in line to pass a bill. I mean, I suppose if somebody's just not going to do it, maybe they just won't do it. But it certainly had the feeling that Biden was not prioritizing voting rights. And I mean, honestly, we had young people on a hunger strike and that didn't get enough coverage really either. We had young people you know, starving themselves to try to get him to prioritize it. And then he's sort of like, okay, okay, we're going to prioritize it now. But he wasn't going to, because I think he felt it was a lost cause and he wanted that he could maybe do infrastructure. And as it turned out, I don't think we got either one, right? Maybe we got a few. Yeah. So it's not a great record. You have to wonder what is going on with Kirsten Cinema and, um, Joe Manchin. Well, the coal baron guy, uh, yeah, whose name is Manchin, now yeah. escaping me. But were they bribed? Were they blackmailed? Or they just don't get it? I, well, they've been they've been bought. I mean, people are now saying corrupt, using that certainly. language. They've been they've been bought. Um, finally, I, I want to talk about Mark Meadows. Uh, he spent many of his final days as the uh, former President Trump's chief of staff, railing against election fraud, which he and other Republicans falsely claimed had tipped the election in favor of Biden. And after exiting the White House, he took a position as a senior partner at the Conservative Partnership Institute, the CPI, which promotes election integrity efforts. Uh, he gave a speech at their summit in Atlanta in February. And then just three weeks later, according to records obtained by the Washington Post, Meadows, his wife, uh, and his wife submitted registrations to vote in North Carolina, all while being registered to vote in Virginia 
and South Carolina. Uh, the overlap lasted about three weeks, and it might have continued if revelations about his voting record had not attracted scrutiny in North Carolina. Uh, he still registered in Virginia and South Carolina, so he was effectively registered to vote in three states, and uh, yet, you know, uh, making noises about election integrity. I mean, Shame, I guess, is another thing we've talked about. He will argue this was an oversight. Of course he will. But fundamentally, you know, this is the former chief of staff who now is being implicated as the kind of nucleus for text messages on the, you know, in the in the lead up and the aftermath of the 6th of January insurrection, uh, getting texts from everyone left, right and center. I mean, his, his cell phone was probably you know, on fire that day and is probably going to be the evidence that really kind of closes the deal on the insurrection, isn't it? But I mean, what's what future do we have? Does does this guy have considering that, you know, so much of this stuff has got his fingerprints all over it? I mean, I I don't know what kind of future he has. I I think that what's happened. Did he actually vote twice? Has that been shown? I don't just know. It's just that the, the, the exposure is that he was registered to vote in three states. Interesting. Well, certainly we have a very a complete, a very broken system. Whether it can be repaired remains to be seen. But we just have such disparate um, remedies given, depending on who you are in this country for this type of, you know, let's just say he voted in more than one place. I Does, does anybody believe he's going to get five years like Crystal Mason? God, no, nobody believes that. Even at the villages where they deliberately the, voted, um, that's in Florida, where you have um, people who deliberately voted twice, probably for Trump, but I'm not, it's not 100%, but probably for Trump, and they got probation. But then there was another case recently where a woman um, didn't know that she wasn't qualified to register, and she registered anyway, and they're going to hit her, she's black, of course, with something like five years also. And I don't know that we can recover from this level of corruption of our agencies. It's very, very concerning. I mean, we're on the knife's edge and it just it just remains to be seen. I, I think uh, with Mark Meadows registering more than one place, unfortunately, in the current climate, that is not going to do him in. If he voted no, in more than one, but, but it's, it's might an not example. be on the inter- it's an yeah. example of the hypocrisy, isn't it? I guess that's really what what this is, and and so hypocrisy, like shame, which we keep coming back to, is is clearly you know ancient history for Republicans. Uh, you know, we like to talk about solutions on this show, so let's just spend the last couple of minutes just talking about where you know, with your expertise, where you feel changes need to be made, what Democrats can do whilst they're in office in this last remaining period before the midterms potentially. Um, because, you know, there's all these predictions of huge losses for Democrats. But actually, a lot of the uh, statistics argue that they could, you know, with with a lot of the, the redistricting that's been going on, Democrats have actually found favor with some of the redistricting. And, and, and court cases have benefited Democrats in some districts. So, I mean, just in terms of predictions, do you think that actually Democrats could have a much better uh, result in the in the midterms than people are saying sure i think it's possible um our elections are quite erratic they often do not uh, match predictions unfortunately almost always when that happens it's to the benefit of the gop not to the democrats so i'm i'm not terribly optimistic in terms of what the democrats can do i certainly hope there's an election integrity budget there should be it should just be something that jamie harrison for the head of the dnc 
has apportioned out because, for example, on these uh, switch voter registrations, we need to get a handle on that. And I know that Senator Tadeo has asked the Justice Department, but they've kind of got their hands full right now. So, um, and we have some state AGs, but they're Republicans looking into it. But, you know, we, we need some financial muscle to look into these things. So I would certainly look into the changed voter registrations. Um, you also have Scott Pressler has been, I don't know that he's involved with this same group that switched the voter registrations. I think maybe not, but um, we have suddenly Republicans surpassing Democrats in other places as well, making just these enormous gains. And it may be that they're just doing a really good job getting out registering voters. That is possible. But in Florida, certainly there's some uh, hanky panky. <laughs> there's some there's some shenanigans going on, fraud going on. And I think the DNC has a role to play in that. I think they need to just get back on their game a little bit on this election integrity stuff. We're doing with the attacks on vote by mail, there will, will be more pressure than ever on um, in-person voting systems. And oftentimes those break down which can happen either deliberately or accidentally, but in either case, it often seems to be to the detriment of Democrats in these sort of large um, urban areas tend to have the equipment breakdowns and electronic poll books in particular are prone to breaking down, yet you have Republican secretaries of states in places like Georgia, Brian Kemp, fighting in court to not have backup paper poll books on election day, which makes no sense. So I think that is just sort of a, it should be a no brainer, something that the Democrats um, that the Democrats focus on. And I, I was glad to see that there is an emphasis. There was a workshop that the DNC was putting on, on messaging on social media. I was glad to see they're paying some attention to that. I didn't attend, but, you know, since I think the DNC has been so poor on this subject, um, I don't know. I'm not too optimistic about about that. <laughs> it's a but, shame. I, I don't know if you saw that uh, Barack Obama, the former president, made a speech at Stanford on Thursday. That was I heard uh, about that. Yep. Yeah, and it's definitely worth a listen. I, I sat through the whole hour, and you know he talked about social media in the main misinformation and and election integrity going forward. He also described the time he was shown a video of himself saying stuff except it wasn't him and he hadn't said that and it was okay. AI. And he, he said that this was his biggest concern is that, you know, using technology now, you're basically able to put out a, a message to, to, to voters that is actually not the message that, that a, a political party is, is hoping to communicate uh, or, the, or certainly the, you know, the, the other side is able to do that. And, and that is going, you know, misinformation is not just words on a page, but it's also pictures now and video and and you know people denying that they ever said anything um yeah. th this is you know it's almost like we we get what we deserve because we've created these technologies and we you know the the and even when it comes to election interference you know the you talking about wireless modems in 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 polling places i mean this is the technology that we've created for ourselves so in a way we've we've opened a, a We've opened a, a wormhole on, on our own integrity, haven't we? Um, yes and no. I mean, certainly our children don't deserve it. And I, I wouldn't say that we deserve what the Republicans are doing, though. I, I don't think so. I mean, it, 
I, I would what I would say is I think that we need a lot more emphasis on what propaganda propaganda literacy so that people know what the different types are and know how to how to detect them. And, you know, if I were running a news agency, I would have or if I had a podcast, I would have people on, on a regular basis who are experts in propaganda and talk about the different techniques like this is what cherry picking means. This is, you know, what not a uh, gosh i i used to do a lot of threads on propaganda certainly the fire hose of falsehoods method to recognize it um putting on you know putting on having people who aren't really journalists in the sense that they have no good faith interest in the truth that's what i would say someone is not a journalist if that's what, what they are and that would be someone like jack Posobiec. but you dress them up in a suit and you put them on a news show that looks like a real news show and you call it news um, that's very similar to the white coat strategy that was used by the cigarette companies. It's also right. similar to what Sidney Powell did. And I think just educating the public to recognize these techniques is really important. And it can't just be one show, though. It has to be done on a regular basis. And for God's sakes, holding the Republicans' feet to the fire on the switched voter registrations. Why that that should be front and center. You know, you have been all over about election integrity. What is going on with these switched voter registrations? What are you doing to investigate it? How are we going to get to the bottom of it? And it's an organization, by the way, called Florida First, which is funded by America First, which is tied to the Trump campaign. Yeah. I mean, it for all, God's go, it all goes back to the guy at the top, doesn't it? Um, yeah. Okay. I, I, I feel and I sense your despair and you've sighed three times during this conversation and, and I, I feel you, I really do. Um, but we need people like you to highlight and your, your Twitter is very active and you're, you're very eloquent there highlighting this. And Obama said in his speech that, you know, educating young people to spot the difference between something that is true and something that is not true, to learn to fact check, even in mm -hmm. school, is really where this needs to start. And I, and I completely get that. Uh, Jennifer, thank you very much for joining me today. I really appreciate your expertise. Well, thank you very much for having me on the show. And I do want to say I, I have some despair, but I certainly I wouldn't have come on the show if I thought the situation was hopeless. And I wouldn't continue to use my Twitter feed if I thought the situation was hopeless. It's just we do have our backs against the wall and we need to know we need to just it's it's all hands on deck. So thank you very much for this, for inviting me on. My thanks to Jennifer Cohn. Don't forget to subscribe to The Weekend Show on YouTube or as an audio podcast. And also the 5-Minute News daily podcast, which drops every morning so you can listen whilst you make your morning coffee. And leave an iTunes review, but only if you like the show. I'm Anthony Davis. Join me next Sunday morning with a brand new special guest and three more factual news stories to discuss on The 5-Minute News Weekend Show with Midas Touch. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.